reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the audience. Congratulations on being a mom. I have not yet accomplished that. When I was younger, I I used to think being a mom was easy because she got to stay up later than I did. It always seemed like she had more money than I did. She could drive herself wherever she wanted to go, so I thought it was easy work. Um, I have three kids now, and I don't think it's easy work anymore. (laughs) My wife does a lot of work. Um, it's, she has to stay up late. Definitely don't have the money and have to drive ourselves everywhere. We learn a lot from our moms, though, don't we? My mom taught me to stop stealing from people. <laughs> True story. I wonder um, what it was like to be Jesus' mom. With this being the last sermon in our series on prayer and it being Mother's Day, I thought it'd be kind of cool to look at the prayer life of Jesus' own mother and maybe see how she might have taught him how to pray. Many of you learned how to pray, at least in part, from your moms. And I think, um, from what we're going to look at this morning, I think that's true of Jesus, too. I think he actually learned a little bit about prayer from his own mother. And so I'm going to see... Uh, I want us to look at one of her prayers this morning and see what we might be able to learn from her as well. So if you would open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and it'll be the passage that Sophie read for us. Uh, But before we get into reading that, I want to set up the context. So the reading starts in verse 46, but in the first uh, 45 verses of that chapter, What happens is uh, Luke 1 opens with just a small little introduction or kind of like a dedication. The book is written to a person named Theophilus. And then it tells the story of a guy named Zechariah. And Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were old and had been unable to have children. And Zechariah was a priest and so he uh, is in the temple ministering and an angel appears to him. And tells him, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And God is going to grant you your request. You're going to have a child. And Zechariah is amazed. In fact, so much so he doesn't even believe the angel. And so he's not able to speak after that. But it is true. So after he comes out of the temple and uh, he and his wife become pregnant, miraculously, even in her old age. And then the scene shifts to Mary who in contrast to Elizabeth, who is Zachariah's wife, in contrast to Elizabeth, Mary is not old, she's young. She's not married. She's engaged to somebody, but she's a virgin. She's uh, never been with a guy before. And so 
the Holy Spirit comes, or the angel comes to her and tells her something similar, that you also will have a child. Now, what the angel told Zechariah is that your son's going to be unique. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, to the Son of God. He's going to be like this announcer coming before saying, prepare the way. And what the angel tells Mary is that your son will be the Messiah, the Son of God, to bring people back to God, and he's going to save the people from their sins. And Mary believes this, uh, but most other people probably wouldn't, right? I mean, most people think Mary is uh, probably 13, 14, 15 years old here. We don't know for sure, but early to mid-teens. And so she's going to tell her parents and her fiancé, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit has, care, has given me this child. Who's going to believe that? Who's going to believe that an angel visited her and told her that she was going to have a baby when that was impossible? Maybe somebody else who had been visited by an angel and was told that they were going to have a baby even though it was impossible. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. They're related, maybe cousins. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And what happens is in, I want to read to you Luke uh, 1, 41 and 45, just immediately preceding Mary's prayer here. And it says here in verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so when Mary was like, hey, what's up? Um, the baby leaped in her womb. That's Elizabeth, Elizabeth's womb. So most people think Elizabeth is about six months pregnant at this point. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. <clears throat> but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And so in response to all of this, in response to the angel visiting her and telling her about this incredible son that she's going to have, in response to Elizabeth's uh, prophetic blessing over Mary, Mary sings this song of praise. She just immediately bursts forth in this con after the confirmation that Elizabeth gives her, she just bursts forth in starting to praise the Lord for what he's done. And that's in verse, starting in verse 46. And Sophie read it, but I want to read it again, and it'll be up on the screen. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And so what we want to do this morning is look at Mary's prayer and sort of analyze it a little bit and see what we can learn from it for our own prayer lives. 
So first, just a quick outline. Mary begins in the first three verses by praising God for his unique favor on her. Mary experienced something that no one in all of human history has experienced or ever will. She got to carry a member of the Trinity in her body. I mean, that's significant. It's pretty um, incredible. And she recognizes that. She recognizes that she is uniquely blessed in a way that no one else on earth will ever be blessed. All generations, she says, will call me blessed. And she recognizes that this is unexpected. She says it's, um, she recognizes the humble state of his servant. She, she knows that Mary's kind of a, a no-name girl from a no-name town, really. I mean, she didn't come from a wealthy or prestigious home. Her family was not one of influence. It wasn't like an aristocratic political uh, family. It was just kind of a, your average run-of-the-mill backwoods town girl. And she recognizes that there's no reason, if you were to think through worldly reasons, why God should choose her. And yet he did. And so she recognizes God has been incredibly merciful to me. He's had a lot of favor on me. And she says God's going to be merciful to all of those who fear him from generation to generation for all time. And then in verses 51 to 53, she specifically talks about God kind of like turning the world upside down, reversing the world order as we know it. He scatters the proud. He brings these rulers down and he lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry. And yet those who are rich find themselves in need. And so God's kind of like got this reversal going on that she's praising him for. And then she closes by praising God for keeping his promise to Abraham. And what she's doing there, she's referencing all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, which is a a paradigmatic chapter for understanding the Bible. It's, It's significant for us to know what that says. So Genesis 12 is what's called the Abrahamic Covenant where God calls a guy named Abraham and he promises him that he's going to have a lot of land, he's going to have a lot of kids, which by the way, um, Abraham, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, was old and he and his wife were barren as well. And God promises him this, a lot of land, a lot of kids, and that through you, through your lineage, the whole world is going to be blessed. And Mary recognizes that her son, that she's going to give birth to is a fulfillment of that promise, is a fulfillment of that blessing to the world. So that's kind of the just rough lay of the land, if you will, of the psalm. And what I want to do now is I want to kind of look through it and look through who the subject of this psalm really is. So what we're going to do is, it's going to sound a little bit like a high school English assignment, and it's going to get a little technical but follow me because I think it, it shows us something profound, okay? We're going to look at the subject and verb of each independent clause in the prayer, okay? So I've put them on the screen for you. So the first one, my soul glorifies. Next one is um, my spirit rejoices for he has been mindful. All generations will call. The mighty one has done. His name is, and it's holy, His mercy extends. He has performed. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has lifted up. He has filled the hungry. He has sent the rich away. He has helped. He is remembering. 
The point is this. Out of 12 independent clauses, nine of them, the subject is God, his mercy, or his name. This prayer is centered on God. This prayer is centered on who he is and what he has done. And remember, she's responding to what God's announced to her, what has been told to her that what he's going to do. And in, in singing this song and praising the Lord as a response to God's act in her life, his provision for her, she's joining a long tradition of biblical authors and characters, of people responding to God's grace and his provision with a psalm of praise. The first one actually comes in Exodus chapter 15. This comes after God's people had been um, brought through the Red Sea. So if, if you, might, you might remember the story of Moses and he splits the Red Sea and the Israelites come through and then he closes it so that Pharaoh and his army are unable to get, are, are, are swept away. And so Exodus 15, immediately what they do is they praise the Lord. They praise him for delivering them. And it's called the Song of the Sea. In Judges 5, a lady named Deborah does something similar after God delivers them from their oppressors. And, well, really all over the Psalms, but specifically Psalm 18, David is responding to God's protection and deliverance of him from his enemies. But there's one prayer that I think Mary is kind of capitalizing on, that she's drawing from in a unique way, and she's taking the words and the themes from that song and applying them to her own situation. And that's from a lady named Hannah. And so, let me tell you the story real quick. Hannah, it's all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. So this is a long time before Mary and, and her son. Okay, Hannah was um, also barren. You'll notice there's a theme in the Bible of these barren women. Um, Hannah was barren, and she was married to a guy named Elkanah, which is a great name. <laughs> and Elkanah has two wives, and this is a side note. The Bible never really endorses that. In fact, it rejects it, but that's a different sermon. But he's got two wives. So Hannah is one. The other is Penina. And Penina is, um, <clears throat> she's not a nice lady. Um, she's, unlike Hannah, she's very fertile. She's got lots of kids. And in a society where kids were viewed as a huge blessing, as favor from God, Penina kind of like, not kind of, she does, she taunts Hannah. Basically makes fun of her. I mean, adding insult to injury, I mean, that is just low. Boasting that she's got lots of kids and Hannah has none. And so Hannah she knows that the only one that can help her is the Lord. And so she prays fervently and zealously, so much so that the priest thinks that she's drunk. She's praying, and the priest is like, this lady's had too much to drink. I'm going to kick her out of the temple. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm just praying. Her prayers were so animated. She was so passionate. She felt so deeply what she was praying that it, it looked like she'd been drinking too much. But God responds to her prayers by giving her a child. He listens. And that could be another sermon on the power of prayer. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, God listens to the prayers of Hannah for a child and he grants it. He gives Hannah this child. And in response to her own son being born, Hannah 
praise. And I'm going to read it to you, and as I read it, and it's going to be up on the screen, uh, think through Mary's prayer as well. You'll see they're very similar. Hannah prays in 1 Samuel chapter 2. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. She who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the Lord, or for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Do you see the similarities? I mean, it's not verbatim, word for word, but if we were to put these two prayers side by side, you'd see the ideas are parallel. In fact, let's look at this chart um, Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord or magnifies. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It is not some <clears throat> shallow lip service for these women. It is from the core of their being, their heart, their soul, all of them, they are praising the Lord. They're just exalting him. This is not an obligatory prayer time in the morning. For these ladies, it is a spontaneous moment of just praise and thanksgiving to God. There is no one holy like the Lord, Hannah says. And Mary says, holy is his name, recognizing that God is unique. He is apart from us. He's not sinful. He is not limited like you and me. Do not keep talking proudly, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. Mary says, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. There's this theme in the Bible all over the place that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And both these ladies pick up on that theme and rejoice in it. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. This idea that those who are powerful and people of influence find themselves unable by their own power to produce what they want. And those who are in a humble state, those who feel maybe cast aside, God raises them to a seat of honor. Jesus tells a parable very similar to this about going to a meal and you sit at the head of the table and the guy says, uh, you need to move to the back of the room. And he says, that's, that's what God's gonna do to the proud, but to the humble... He's going he's gonna to say, no, come sit at the front. Come sit at the front in the place of honor. 
Hannah says, those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry, hunger no more. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. This isn't really about food. Food's a metaphor there for the spiritual things that God is giving to these people who find themselves hungry. And those who are people, again, of influence and power aren't able to produce it themselves. So both Mary and Hannah... They're praising God. They're responding to God's deliverance. They're responding to God's provision in their life. And I don't know if you caught it, but Hannah grabs onto that same upside down reversing of the world order aspect that Mary does and she praises God for it. But here's what's significant. Both of these women are responding to the birth of their sons or to the coming birth of their sons. Hannah's son is going to be a guy named Samuel. And Samuel will go on to become one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament. He's, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, he's not perfect. There are spots where we see that he falls short, but he does not burn out like some of the other characters. In fact, he's going to be the one to anoint King David I don't know if you caught it, but at the end of, of Hannah's prayer, she says something interesting. She says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She's not talking about her own son. There was no king at that time. Her son was going to be the one to anoint the king. And I think what Mary is doing is she recognizes that her son, like Samuel, will go on to be an incredible and influential character in the story of God. In fact, much more than Samuel because he won't just be someone to anoint the king. He will be the king. She recognizes that he's gonna be the one to bring people back. She's under no illusion about who her son is. She knows that he's the Lord. That's what Elizabeth says, right? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She just called like a, a several-week-old child in, in the womb her Lord. Mary knows who her son's going to be, and she, I think what she does is she grabs on to Hannah's story and recognizes my son is going to be a greater Samuel, and, and I've got to praise God for this. Her prayer, Mary's prayer, is a response to the gospel, is a response to God's deliverance for us from our sins. Luke and other places will compare Jesus with Samuel, kind of alluding. There's a spot in Luke where it says that he, uh, Jesus grew up and gained favor and stature with, uh, uh, grew in stature and favor with men and God. That's almost the exact same phrase in 1 Samuel chapter 2 of Samuel. And so Luke, in several places, is going to place Jesus as this greater Samuel. So today's the day that we honor our mothers for all of their hard work, their sacrifice, their selflessness, their love, and we should. It's good that we honor mothers for that. And what I want you to see is these ladies are honoring God for doing the very same thing for them in Jesus. Everything that you appreciate and honor about your mother today, that is a God-like characteristic that is perfectly exemplified in Christ. So I said that we should uh, learn from Mary. 
And here's what I want us to learn. The vitality of our prayer lives is going to be directly connected and correlated with our awareness of who God is and what he's done in our life. Mary is very aware of this. She's totally aware of what God is doing. And so if your prayer life is lacking, if when you go to pray, it feels kind of like shallow and obligatory and um, mind just kind of wanders and you don't really want to be there, it might be that we've grown cold to who God is himself, grown cold to just the person of God. Uh, I'm reading this book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by a guy named Don Whitney. And one of them is prayer. Go figure. And so uh, he writes this along these lines. He says, When our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. The less we think of the nature and character of God and the less we're reminded of what Jesus did for us on the cross, the less we're going to want to pray. But when I think of what Christ has saved me from, when I recall the shame that he endured so willingly for my sake, when I remember all that salvation means, prayer is not hard. When this kind of thinking is infrequent, meaningful prayer will also be infrequent. Our prayer lives are fueled by our meditation and by the person of God. Prayer is, is simply just communication. It's just simply a means to an end. Prayer is not an end in itself. The end is being with the Lord. It's this relationship with God. I've got this, uh, this great uh, illustration. I was just reading um, another book by a guy named Paul Miller, and he said, uh, focusing too much on prayer itself, on the conversation, as opposed to focusing on the Lord, it's like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. So these two godly mothers, Mary and Hannah, have something to teach us about how we ought to pray. We look at the transcripts of their prayers and we see that God is the focus. That God is, God is the one who kind of is at the, the weight, the center of weight of the prayer. And so if we were to look at, if you were to look at your transcripts, if someone were to print them out and hand it to you, and you were to do subject verb, who would be the subject? Or what would be the subject of your prayers? For thousands of years, we believed that the earth was at the center of the solar system and that the sun revolved around the earth. And a lot of us pray like that. Like we're at the center and God's job is to listen to my prayers and to do what I need. Right? And it was Galileo who challenged that notion and proved uh, what we now know to be reality, that the sun is at the center and that the earth revolves around that. Maybe God just did that to show us we're not all that. What I'm saying is maybe Mary and Hannah can sort of act like Galileo and our prayer lives undergo a similar transition to where we remove ourselves from the center of our prayers and we place God at the, at the center. And this is where, I, where I'm going to contend that Mary taught Jesus how to pray because this is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours, His prayers are totally centered around God and his agenda and what he's doing. My whole existence, I need to undergo this transition, not just in my prayer life, but I need to recognize the purpose for which I am alive is for the glory of God, which by the same token is your own joy. So, 
That's what I'm hoping we can learn from these ladies. That we can meditate on the Lord, that we can focus on him, and that we would be able to say with them in the deepest part of our beings that it is our souls, our hearts are rejoicing in God. Prayer is a learned skill, and there's going to be an aspect where you kind of just need to grit your teeth, plan for it, and discipline yourself, but I'm hoping it doesn't stay that way. I'm hoping that it works its way into our inner being, and that we just, with all that we are, love God. So whether it's from Mary or from Hannah, the Apostle Paul or someone else, we all need to learn how to pray. And so I would just encourage you, make the same request of Jesus that his disciples did. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And don't ask him just once. Repeatedly ask him, teach me to pray. It's an, it's an ever-growing ever discipline discipline. It's an ever-growing aspect of our lives. If we're going to view prayer as the means to the end of the relationship, you don't just, you know, learn about somebody once or love them once. If you're married, you realize that's an ongoing relationship and you're kind of continually growing. And so, Lord, continue to teach me to pray so that I might be one with the Father. Not just, I won't be able to just say that I'm intimate with God, but I'd be actually truly intimate with the Lord and able to spend time alone with him by myself. It'd be great. So, we've got a plan for it. Prayer is, it is very simple. It's simple enough for a child to do, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be immediately good at it. It's something we still have to grow in. It's a learned skill that's sort of like riding a bike, and the best way to learn is to do it. It's just to pray as much as you can, more than you can. Look for opportunities to grow in prayer. And so I want to highlight a few things, um, and it's been in your bulletins uh, for the last four weeks during the sermon series, but I want to really um, focus on it this morning. You've got an insert there that gives you um, some suggestions for growth in prayer. And the first few things are things to read. And it is helpful to read and listen to sermons on prayer. Okay, get some you know, fire in your bones, get some excitement about prayer and some teaching on it. And uh, I just want to highlight and encourage one specific thing on that list, and that is uh, tips for praying the word. It's just a one and a half page article about how to pray scripture. And so I want to encourage you to pick that up. It's at, it should be at a table right there in the uh, foyer as you leave here. And I hope what you saw is that Mary, she grabbed onto Hannah's prayer and she totally just used it herself. But it wasn't just Hannah's prayer. She was all over the Psalms too. She's echoing ideas and themes that are found throughout the Old Testament. And so I would just encourage you, if you're wanting, if you're wanting to grow in prayer, one of the best ways is to learn how to pray Scripture. Now additionally, your individual prayer life is connected to your corporate prayer life. The more you grow in one, the easier it's going to be to do the other. And so... Let me just encourage you to try to find opportunities with us as a church to pray. And so I'll highlight these three. Um, and the first is the pre-service prayer meeting. So I don't know if you knew this, but every Sunday at 8.30, we do a, a prayer meeting for the service for our church. You all get prayed for every Sunday morning, and the service does. And so I would just encourage you, come be a part of that. All we do, it's very simple. We just print out um, a, the uh, text that's going to be preached on, and we just kind of pray through that. 
And so there's been a handful of us that have been doing that faithfully for a little while, and I would just encourage you, if you're wanting to grow in prayer, come join us. You don't need to be ultra super spiritual. If you feel like you show up and you're like, I don't even know what to do, we'll walk you through it, we'll do it with you, and we'll all just learn together. Don't, you don't need to come with any sort of pretense of being like some prayer master. The second thing is our church does a day of prayer. Um, we're going to try to start doing these twice a year. And so we did the last one in April, and we've got one coming up, like <laughs> coming up in four months. Um, it's in September. And so I know it's a ways out, September 30th, but I would encourage you, um, the reason I'm telling you now Put on your calendar. Mark out the day. It's from 9 a.m. to 2. And I know five hours, you're just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) That's a long time. Uh, But I'll just say, it did not feel like five hours to me last time when we did it. Um, You'll come, and if you were here last week, um, you'll, you'll be able to set your bag down. You'll be able to come, just walk away feeling at peace with the Lord. And I just really encourage you to be a part of that if you can. 9 to 2, that's on September 30th, and we'll <clears throat> announce it more as it comes. But if you can't make that day, like I said, we'll be doing those semi-regularly. So try to be at at least one of them. And then the s- third thing is we're going to start doing a second hour prayer time periodically. I've had, we've had that going every week uh, for the last three, and then we'll do it today as well. Uh, but uh, we'll start doing it maybe once a month-ish or so. And we'll announce that either from the front or in the bulletin or in uh, the second hour classes. But I just encourage you, if you're wanting to grow in prayer, find other people who are praying and just join with them. You'll be able to learn a lot. So let me encourage you, find one thing on that list, okay? You don't need to be at every single thing, okay? But try to find just one thing on that list and say, okay, I'm gonna try that. And that'll be my, my step, My encouragement for us all is if we're going to learn how to pray, find one step that's appropriate for you and where you are in life and just take it. So, speaking of praying in groups, uh, we're going to close by praying in groups. So, if you've been here, uh, what we've been doing is uh, we've been praying together to close the service. Instead of me closing it in prayer, you guys are going to. And so what I'd like you to do is imagine your pews are cut in half and then turn around and get circled up with the group behind you. There should be groups of four to eight-ish. And then, so go ahead and just do that right now, okay? So pay attention, make sure if there's individuals. And for visitors who are here with us this morning, we're glad to have you join. Don't feel like you have to pray out loud, okay? Now pay attention to individuals or couples. Make sure everyone gets to be a part of a group. Okay? So why don't you go ahead and shake hands with everyone in your group. Just everyone get to know each other. Share your name real quick. Okay, and try to make sure you're part of a group. All right, so before you get started, before you get started, let me share one thing. So we're going to try something today. We're going to try something today that's a little bit different, okay? We're taking our cues from Hannah and Mary, and we're going to just focus exclusively on praise and thanksgiving. And by the way, I'm not saying we should never pray for the things that we need and the things that are important to us. 
Um, I I'm, I'm hope I've been clear on, on that in the past. If, if you haven't, you go ahead and listen to the sermons before this. But uh, we're going to just spend this time in just praise and thanksgiving. So do your best to try to not make any requests, okay? But just to praise God. Okay, that might be a little bit hard for some people, but that's okay. Um, and I've got prompts here on the screen so you can fill in the blank with a name if you need to. Or you can just pray. You can open up your Bible to one of the Psalms and grab one of those. And so what you guys will do is just pray in your group. And then after a little while, I'll close us, okay? Ready? Pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for the gift of prayer. God, thank you for how good that you've been to us. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he is the greater Samuel. He is the greater uh, Moses. He's the greater everything. And God, thank you for Mary's prayer uh, that teaches us how we ought to pray. And God, we, we are so grateful to be your children. We are so grateful to be um, worshiping you this morning. Amen.